You're listening to the Top Woman Business Unusual Podcast. Now, the Top Woman Business Unusual Podcast. Learn from the greatest minds in business today. Interviews hosted by Ralph Fletcher. Learn how to improve business, get tips from industry leaders, and be motivated by real-life experience. Top Woman. Business Unusual. Welcome to the Standard Bank Top Woman podcast. Today, I am extremely excited to welcome Dr. Vera Songwe. She is the Executive Secretary of the United Nations Economic Commission for Africa. She has a host of other titles, degrees, former posts, one of being at the World Bank, and is the first woman to take the place at the helm of the United Nations. Vera, welcome, and thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Good, good, good day. <laughs> it's an absolute <laughs> pleasure. So I know we've got you in between an extremely busy schedule um, all around the world dealing with uh, vaccine crises, uh, digitalization of Africa, you name it. So, I mean, one of the things that I, I wanted to just start is taking a step back from all of this uh, and from a woman who has uh, been who's been born in Africa, come from, coming from the Cameroon. How did being an African woman influence the trajectory for your career and what do you do and what you're responsible for at the UN today? Um, listen, Carla, I think that's a good question. Um, uh, I guess if you're a woman born in Africa, which I am, I was born in Kenya, um, you don't sort of wake up in the morning thinking, oh my God, I'm an African woman born in Africa, right? You, you're just a woman who was born in Africa. <laughs> and and, and, and you, you, you go on. Uh, I, I think maybe the way it influenced me and, 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 you know, one or two things probably, but, you know, I, I guess it's, um, I, I did go to a boarding school. I went to an all-girls boarding school. And I think the importance, uh, it's called Our Lady of Lords College, um, the importance sometimes of, of this institution, it's very, very difficult religious, you know, so anybody who has gone to a boarding school understands what I'm talking about, Jesuit style, 5 a.m. in the morning, wake up. Um, but I think the benefit of that was that because it was all girls, we, we, there was just no gender discrimination, right? And so I think as in your formative years, you grow up without a sense that somebody is better than you uh, or that, 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 that impression that, you know, uh, you cannot do something because it's overwhelmingly difficult. The math teacher thought math and the physics teacher thought physics and it was all girls in the room. And I think it, it does have some benefits in the sense that, you know, you're just struggling to be as good as you can be and not, there is no distinction between other boys better in STEM and other girls better in STEM. So some of those kinds of uh, uh, inherent uh, biases that a lot of society faces, I didn't confront until it was probably too late to be afraid of them. And, 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 and so I think that, 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 gives, that gave me a little bit more uh, uh, sort of wind in my sails, right? So I was, I can say from that perspective, a little bit advantaged uh, than most others uh, that grow up. But but again, I, I also think when, now that I look back, right, uh, it's not something I was looking for then, but now that I look back at that, 
one of the other issues is, is you know, growing up on the continent, uh, uh, and, and I, again, had a little, little bit of a different trajectory because I, yes, grew up on the continent, but not really because I went back and forth. My father was traveling. My parents traveled a lot. But it gives you a sense of sort of, you know, where are the, what does the continent need? What, what can the continent do better? And, 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 and how much more uh, of the continent we can sort of take advantage of. And I think understanding, you know, the, the, the strengths and the power of the continent gives you, again, a little bit more assurance when you go out there because you know we can get it done. And I think maybe this is the other part of the problem, right? Because you understand the continent, because you know the continent, and I come from Cameroon, and uh, I was fortunate enough to have parents who made me sort of travel the breadth of my country, so I know every part of it, and and you just see the amazing opportunities, and so you you sort of I guess maybe that's why I'm doing what I'm doing today is to sort of see whether you can bring all those opportunities to fruition in a way that maximizes uh, the lives of a lot of those young girls that are still there and need to 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 excel yeah <clears throat> fantastic and i mean you you're the first woman at the helm now of, of the un in the position that that you hold what have been i mean have you experienced because now you you know you know you're not in an all-female boarding school um have, what have you experienced what have been the challenges in that role since you've taken it on I mean, I, I think, we, you know, as in, as in, as in every institution, when you, when you, when you come in as, as sort of the new person, especially that you're coming from outside, there always is a sense of, you know, you need to, first of all, spend some time getting to know the institution. Uh, you need to spend some time, you know, um, getting people to understand a little bit your perspective. You need, you need some period where, um, you know, people need to follow a leader and, 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 and then behind that leader ideas. So you need to sort of, I think, spend some time understanding what ideas are, are the right ideas for that moment in time. And then what are ideas that you can, you can maybe take on later. It, it was a big institution. It is a big institution. And, and my first time leading an, an institution, I had sort of led offices and things. So it's a different kind of approach. And I, I was lucky because I, I, I had good, very good mentors coming into the job. And I remember um, one of my mentors saying to me, you know, you're an economist, you're a mathematician, your job is not going to ask you for these things, it's going to ask you to manage people. Yeah. And, 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 and I kind of, I think I listened. I'm not sure I understood at the time but I can tell you that six months into the job, I fully understood what they meant at the time because it's a totally different conversation. Uh, it's not about whether, you know, so, so having good mentors was, was also, I think, an important part of just, you know, coming to the job and knowing how you, 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 you understand it and, and how you bring people together and, and, and have, uh, I think, you know, understanding you know what 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 sort of will create a community because the only way that you succeed is by creating a community who's vested in the success of the institution as opposed to the success of a person or, or the other yeah 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 so i mean i, I thought that and i was going to think that around 
your people principles, you know, in terms of supporting, you know, the, the environment you have, it's very much around to have the kind of success and to be, be working the amount of projects that you have, you have to have a very robust team, right? Yes, no, I think, and, and, and that's another thing when, and in which is part of the management process. One, because I was coming from, I was in sort of an external, uh, uh, you know, hire, um, one of the things that I consciously decided to do was not change a lot of the team. So I actually didn't do my first hire until maybe two and a half years, three years later into the system. So, and, 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 and that created a set of challenges, but I think also a set of opportunities because then you sort of have to ask yourself, what is it in the staff that you have that is the best of them? And how can you work to find the best of each one of them and, and then make a collective deliver, uh, and, which is very different. If you're sort of a CEO of a private company, you can fire everybody the morning after and bring a new set of people in and, 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 and get going. This is not the case when you come in um, uh, in an institution that is more of a sort of public service institution and or in governments, right? Even in governments, when you come in, you can change the minister, but you can't change a lot of them. Uh, uh, that is there with you. And, and and so I think what you then have to do is find out, you know, what makes, why is this person here and what sort of, you know, makes them wake up in the morning. And hence then I think spend some time just trying to understand how you can excite them in the job that they're doing. And, 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 and I think that's where a lot of the work came from was just going in and, and realizing some really, really amazing gems in the system, right? And, 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 and also, I think people that can teach you something that you learn something from and, and you know, you put them around you and, 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 you know, then amazing things happen when you find those people. Yeah. Um, I give examples, but um, um, I, actually one of them is some, some guy who does work on nanotechnology, right? And, you know, like who would have thought that at the ECA someone's doing work on nanotechnology in space, <laughs> you know? And, and so it's just, but, 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 you know, amazing stuff. And then uh, you can push that and, and then on simple things, like just uh, making sure that we can track the SDGs and, and, and how do we really track them and what does, does this really mean for, for uh, our member states and, and somebody's out there, you know, trying to do this work, but it does require that you bring them to the fore and you, I think, demonstrate that that work is as important. And, and, and so I think part of what I learned and, and, and you know, in creating all this little ecosystems was was you know the value of just appreciating you know and rewarding and recognizing work you know it's in, in a big in big systems you know that can disappear very quickly because you're just sort of struggling to get to a goal uh, and 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 maybe you don't stop to recognize and and so I think by doing that then people want to excel even more and so you create a system where you know it begins to grow on itself and you don't have to work that hard anymore to, to get things done. Yeah, I mean, I was going to ask you about some of the lessons that you learned. Is, is what it, it's now five years? Is it going on five years? Or, or are you it's, in uh, your... No, it's going on four. Yeah, it, it sounds like it's going on 10. I feel like I've been doing this for 10 years, but, but it is, yeah. it's, it's three years and then some. Yeah. I was never a mathematician. So let's. Uh, <laughs> but uh, okay. what have you, I mean, what are some of the highlights? And, and because you say you don't often stop to reflect. You've got these massive SDG goals to achieve um, and the coordination of what you do is, is intense at, at, at the very least. What are some of the things, the takeaways, the highlights that you've had in the, in the last four years um, um, that you can share with us? 
That's a good question. I think the first one will be internal and, and it's really, you know, getting the whole system, I think, to work amongst, you know, uh, uh, in a collegial fashion. The ECA is a big institution and we don't have everybody in our disk. We have six sort of satellite offices. And I think in the beginning, there was the sense that, you know, the, the sort of, you know, the, 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 the babies were not sort of necessarily linked to the center. And, and, and I think we have managed and successfully been able to create a system now where there is interaction between the center and the periphery and within the center a lot more uh, a cross-sectoral work because development is inherently, we have 17 SDG goals, but each one, you know, affects the other, gender affects everything else that we do and reduction in poverty, partnerships are, are essentially, you know, uh, things that me, everybody needs to take care of. So that, that I think will be, for me, one of the most important ones is just stabilizing the system, getting a little bit more um, um, understanding of everybody. And so we introduced something called the accountability and the program review, where every three months, all of the system gets together uh, for three days. And that's all we do is just everybody presents their work and, and there's criticism and there's, uh, recognition and there is, you know, oh, you're doing that and I was doing that. Maybe we should do it together, and that builds a system. And I think, you know, that 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 works well. So, I, so I think that 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 would be for me an important highlight uh, is is just getting the system to be able to speak with one voice and so that any one of us is an ambassador of of, of the institution when we go out because we now know that what we are doing as a collective, as opposed to just me talking about it. Uh, in a way that uh, uh, I think before it was just, okay, well, send the ES out, send the ES out. Now I think you can be confident that there's a lot more people that can go out and, and say the same things across the system. I think the, 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 the second highlight is, is probably um, some of the work that we've been doing on the, the CFTA, the, the African Continental Free Trade Area uh, Agreement. I think, I mean, a huge, gigantic task um, started, you know, before many of us have arrived. <laughs> uh, uh, anyway, you know, at independence in 1960, people were talking about, you know, creating an all-African market. Uh, uh, our forefathers, Kwame Krumah and the rest, talked about it. And, and, you know, it had its fits and starts, but finally, January 1, 2020, it came to life. And that, that happened because there's a lot of work that went into it in the past. And I think that the signing of the agreement in Kigali is a huge, huge moment uh, for the ECA team. We have a, an African uh, uh, trade policy center, but I, I think building off of my first highlight, which is the whole system working together. I think the, 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 the CFTA is one of those areas where everybody felt vested. You know, it was every day we were meeting, whether you were doing the macro work or the trade work or the, energy work to see, you know, which country did we need and how did we get to 33 and did we need another country to ratify? So there was a lot of momentum. And I think that's the power of an idea, right? If you have an idea and you're able to communicate it in a way that people understand the, the sort of grandeur of the ambition and the importance of the ambition, you get there. So I think that the, 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 the ratification of the first, the signing of, of, of the of the CFTA and then the ratification from Niger to Kigali, you know, big moments. And then to January 1 uh, of 2020 with the sort of coming into being 
of the CFTA is, is, will be, I think, what I will consider another very important moment in, in, in sort of ECA uh, uh, history. I think another thing that we have done very well is on the gender piece. We have, you know, uh, unfortunately, because of COVID, we didn't really get to celebrate Beijing plus 25 as well as we would have wanted to. And But the momentum in the last two, three years getting to Beijing plus 25, and for me, um, sitting there and listening to all this amazing women who went to Beijing and, you know, even just the stories of how they got there and, and you know, and the Senegalese women and the uh, Zambian and the Namibian women and the whole sort of story around, you know, it sounded like a freedom fighting movement almost, <laughs> but but just amazing lessons uh, uh, for, 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 for us. And I, I don't think that those stories are told often enough, right? And, and I remember I went into a meeting, I think a year and a half ago, two years ago, and it was all set up, you know, in traditional style with somebody giving an opening speech and somebody, and, and we just suggested, let's just do a round table and have people speak. And there were all the generations, the you know, uh, university kids from Addis Ababa University, myself, and then the people who had gone to Beijing and, you know, and, and, and saw the change happen. And it ended up being a really, really amazing conversation with, with this sort of, you know, four women, you know, people talk about four fathers, I don't want to call them four mothers, but just the foresight that they had and, and, and the, the, the struggles and to learn that a lot of sort of the declarations that came out of Beijing were African positions at the time. And, and maybe we've lost some of that. And, and so I think sort of trying to get that story back again and get Africa at the fore of the conversation on gender was quite a, a, a an important uh, a moment for for. For us, and then there's many more, but I think those are some of the big highlights that uh, I would put on the table for for now. And I, I mean, for some people in their lifetime, to be part of any one of those uh, would, would would be a legacy in itself. I think. Um, but there's, there's there's other things that you have, and it's related to the CFTA in many ways, um, and and. The upliftment of the continent. You've been working on spearheading digitalization in Africa. Um, there's a quote that I that I read. It's been quoted that women are the missing face of Africa's digital re revolution. With only 18% of women ac with access to the internet, compared to 25% of men, um, and and a mere 30% of content creators and co coders and entrepreneurs are women in the African continent. So I'd love to hear a little bit more. We we are hosting uh, something called Africa Tech Week. Um, it's happening when next week, fifth and sixth of May, and we're having a women in tech session. But I think not enough is is happening to come together and vocalize these efforts. Um, and and it's an important. I mean, just from, from from your perspective, why is it so important that we digitalize Africa? And really, where are the opportunities for women in that regard? No, I think that's. Uh, thank you. This is this is really an important question, and 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 I think when we say the missing phase, it, it really is. Uh, you know, we we tend to say this. You know, make the statements, and 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 they're good for for, for sort of the mentioning. But but we all know that the woman is sort of the key. Of, is the nucleus of any society, right? And 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 development happens through through that, and and progress happens through that. And you know, as they say, you know, you educate the woman, you educate the village. And 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 
our century, our moment is, is, is defined by those who have access to, you know, better communication, to digitization, uh, but access to information. And the African woman begins to become missing very, uh, actually, as she is born, because, you know, we have a whole uh, 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 cohort of African women who do not have an identity. They have no identity card. They don't exist for, 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 for us. And, and, and for us policymakers, they don't exist for schooling. They don't exist for healthcare and, and let alone for voting so that their voices could be heard and, and what they want, you know, understood by public policy or even, you know, the private sector. And, 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 and therein lies an important part of the problem because if we cannot identify where the woman is, we don't know how to help her. If we, if we cannot identify where she is, we don't know how to help her newly born baby. And, 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 and then it just, you know, it just continues. The problem just sort of, and, and so really what we need to do, and one of my big fights <laughs> um, is, is with the, so, so yeah, you know, our civil registration systems, uh, our civil registration systems today that are, you know, based on a lot of paper and, and, and people have to go into an office and tick a box and do all those things. But we know that, you know, African women are giving birth all over the place. And, and, and what we should be able to do with digitization, and this is the beginning of it. So, yes, we want them to have access to use it. But first, but first and foremost, we want to, able to, to be able to use digitization and new technology on them to make them part of an inclusive society. And so, you know, we have all these endless debates in, you know, glass uh, uh, offices, beautiful offices across the continent and outside the continent about how you identify and give an identity to a woman. We could do this with big data. You know, we could essentially in, you know, this women who have a baby go into a shop to buy food, they buy an, a, a SIM card, you know, if yeah. we could make every SIM card location a data collection location, we will not have missing women. We will not have missing young girls on the continent. But there is a, a, a stake out there that says, you know, we must go to a civil registration center and we must fill a sheet. And, and I'm sure somebody's going to come after me after this. But, you know, <laughs> I think we can do this much faster. I think we can do it much better to bring these women in into the system and, and ensure that, you know, the first, the, the woman who is giving birth and that girl child that, that shows up are immediately captured in the system. And then we know how to then provide the services that they need. The second thing, of course, then is, you know, giving them access to a computer or some kind of digital platform as they get into school. And, you know, what better uh, evidence than COVID to tell us 300 million kids at some point on our continent were not in school, right? And, and this is because we don't have access to the systems that, you know, kids in our, you know, uh, uh, cities, you know, if you're in Nairobi and if you're in uh, Rabat or if you're in Johannesburg, you can study online and, and, and that's great. But the minute, even in this country, is the minute you go into the hinterlands, you can't. And so what happens then is, by, if you're a 12-year-old girl or a 13-year-old girl who is beginning to show some signs of maturity, your parents think, maybe send her off to marriage. So we saw, you know, uh, 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 unwanted or, or marriages go up, which means, you know, at 12 years old, we're putting you into a, into a, into a, into a marriage. And, and, and because it becomes an economic question 
for your for for your family and we haven't yet demonstrated that sending a girl to school is good economics because she can actually get out and work and take care of you so and and that's the problem that's and then so she becomes missing again because she goes into to to sort of early marriage probably depressed closed behind doors and and so you you, you begin to see how we build that problem and and so then it's no surprise that you know only 12% of women actually have access to the internet and then can use it because we have been taking away their opportunities we've been taking away access we've been taking away policies that they need from the time they were born and every crisis that happens hits them first and and so 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 while the younger ones are being sent off to marriage the other ones that the 70% of our informal economy have seen their jobs disappear with no sense of a social uh, uh, safety net policy that can find them because we have not registered them so we don't know how to reach them again and and so this is a problem that and for me it it's a multiples it's in multiples that they're missing that women are missing in society in our societies and we just need to find ways of bringing them so i can go on and on but yeah there you are with the, and and so digital what does digital do digital for us ensures that we can you know this women don't have to move from where they are they don't have to if we can and and some of this investment and this is the link with the private sector is if there is a space where you know services today in africa's economy are 51% of our economy it means we the value addition the productivity of the service sector is quite high mm-hmm. and the private sector has seen that and has recognized that and is coming into in, in, into those those areas we can put up uh, cloud computing we can put up uh, uh, internet stations we can increase the broadband there's so much that can be done by the private sector to make sure that women have access but we need policy to to sort of open the way and clear the way for that and so when when we have these numbers you know which we continue to send out of you know only 28% of the women have access and connectivity it's it's a lot about policy are our policy makers putting in place the right policies to attract the private sector to come and manage the business to come and ensure that it's done well and and so that the public sector is not spending resources wastefully for things that the private sector can do better and women will benefit much faster yeah. i mean i was going <clears> to <throat> ask you as one of the solutions what 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 would you ask of uh, the private sector or platforms like sanabank top women um to help you what what are you, what is it that you are practically looking for to assist in in the solutions to this so of course standard bank is one of our prides on the continent right the largest asset management company in the world in, on the continent and so one of the things that we are asking of standard bank for women is to say and and this is a problem across the world is we don't have that many women fund managers essentially a fund manager is somebody who sort of decides where i'm going to invest my money and how much of my uh, you know uh, uh, investment i'm going to make in a particular sector in a particular woman and and what what has tended to happen is that over time women have been almost pigeonholed into you know uh, a, a, a small agri business So you know if a if a, a young woman fresh out of business school or anything else comes out and says you know I want to go into some food processing uh, uh industry she will find financing she will find financing but even our data shows that she she could find financing 
up until her business is sort of medium size. The minute it's medium size and she wants to go larger, the CFTA has just happened. Maybe she wants to go five countries as opposed to the one country. It gets very, very difficult for, for her to access, you know, above a million to five million dollars worth of financing. And she almost always has to then partner with a, with, with, with a man and then together or sell her business to a man. And then he can go off and get the same resources from the same uh, firms that she would have gone to and they would have said no to her. And so what we're hoping is that, you know, institutions like Standard Bank, if we work together and, and we're very grateful, work together with them to create women fund managers who are the ones who make these decisions for other women. They can identify with these women. They can believe in these women. They can trust in them. Uh, to, to be able to grow their business, to be able to, to, to scale it. And I think the women will see in them role models of what they want to become. So you begin to create a self, sort of reinforcing system. The, the second thing is, you know, uh, uh, there are segments of our economy that are very profitable, but for which, you know, the, the male uh, sort of resource manager doesn't have a sense or doesn't understand that segment of the market well enough. And this is the same thing. I mean, we spend our time in many businesses, you know, trying to explain to banks how to lend to smallholder farmers. So, so it's, it's not a criticism to say that men don't understand when a woman shows up and says, I want to build a drone. But it's just they haven't figured out that, you know, this is a business in which women can actually excel because women have been pigeonholed into agribusiness. So when you show up and say, you know, I'm doing something in the STEM field, very difficult to access financing. But then we're hoping that if you have a, a woman who is there to provide that financing, she'll understand it much faster because she believes in you automatically. And so maybe we can create more diversified business options for women who are looking to do something different. And there again, I think that with the discipline of uh, uh, a bank like uh, Standard Bank with the sort of recognition that they have, you know, sponsoring these kinds of uh, initiatives will crowd in more people behind those initiatives and ensure that Africa begins to get to a place where women feel like, you know, they have a seat at the table and they can then empower others. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and then if we're speaking about, so, so that's sort of what the private sector is doing to assist the, the enablement of, of women in funding and, and within certain sectors, as a entrepreneur as a grassroots level woman who who wants to achieve and accelerate my business what is the what is the roadmap that I can go on as an African woman to to advance myself I think a lot of women are very lost they believe it's and I've had this conversation many times with Santa Bank yes they do believe it's funding but it's not just funding um, I've had many conversations around access to markets and, and I just feel what is it that we can give them that they can take away from this conversation and say, right, these are some practical steps that I can take in my journey uh, to advancing myself and then therefore the sector and other women. Three things. The first one is community uh, uh, and, and, and sort of trying to identify in the communities where you are, what you know the other women businesses are doing, uh, and, and create a sort of a, a self-reinforcing system, so that you do have access to 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 to, to, to sort of different spheres of knowledge. It's no it's no surprise that you know the men 
have groups that they work around with and work with because that's how they share information. That's how you know that there is going to be a call for proposals for the next big uh, uh, bid that the government is going to offer or that the private sector is going to offer. So you need, you must be in a community. Sometimes it's very difficult for women because you know you're doing the business, you're running home to manage the kids, you're maybe even taking some more classes because you want to better yourself, and so there's not that much time. But it is, I think, investing in some kind of community is quite important because then you get information. It's that that sort of it's the means to information. You you get a sense of what's happening in your sector, what you know, what's what are the new trends, what are you missing. Somebody else is catching it and you can share that information. I think that's particularly important. I think the second, uh, and you're right, it's not always about financing. It's about first getting the information. And then uh, the, the second thing is about understanding the business trends in your sector and learning and getting better at sort of being able to, to detect what is happening and, and how you go about that. Uh, again, and then, and then finally, but more, more importantly, it's really about the business environment. Uh, it's it's about you know and and I always say we talk about doing business and when we talk about sort of ease of doing business one always thinks when you talk about it you're talking about big business but big business doesn't really care because big business goes in and flies in and sees the president and they get everything they need in three days but if you're a woman you know in a rural area trying to start a business and it takes you three months to get your water connected and another four months to get your electricity, by then you've lost your business because, you know, you've spent so much time just waiting for to have everything that you need. So more, most important, I think, is really that business uh, environment improvement is taxation, you know, what kinds of taxes are levied on, on the business, how they're levied, which is one of the reasons why many of the women businesses stay informal because, you know, Despite all the other difficulties that exist to start a business and to run a business, you know, the, the, the sort of fiscal systems tend to be a lot more regressive, uh, meaning that, you know, the, the, the sort of those at the bottom end up usually paying a lot more. And so that is also another part of the problem. And I think on the continent, we need to review a lot of this uh, and, and see how we can ensure that, you know, there are some incentives to creating a business as opposed to disincentives for women. And then a lot of uh, women on the continent uh, do a transboundary bus business. And so harmonization of policies. If you're going to go from Ghana to Togo to Benin, you cannot confront different rules and regulations and different systems each time you go across one of those borders. So this is one of the powers, I think, the strengths of the CFTA is if we can succeed in harmonizing, you know, some of these processes for women, it makes it a lot better and even a lot cheaper. So then the, the issue of access to financing becomes a lot less because you know the cost of the investments is reduced. And, and I want to go to the next question, which you said is, what are the trends, the biggest next growth path for women in Africa that they should be looking out for? It's a good question, but it's also a tricky question because when you say that, that everybody wants to go there, I think that the African woman is as diverse as the continent, right? Mm -hmm. and, and clearly the digital space is a huge space. And we did one of the most exciting things, and you asked me about sort of some of highlights. At the end of last year, December uh, 2020, we had a, a boot camp, a sort of a digital training bootcamp for over 3,000 women across the continent. And I did think this is the beauty. Well, I was going to say this is the beauty of COVID. 
I don't think one can really say that. But the benefit of it is that we were able to do this, you know, with everybody staying where they were and, and connect all these different countries. And, and so, you know, people working from Ethiopia to Kenya, but but virtually. And, and you know, you had young girls designing clothes. You had young girls designing television programs. You had young girls designing uh, uh, um, environmentally sustainable uh, bottles, clean water. I mean, this this was the, the range of the innovation that was coming out of two weeks of training. And and and, and just that, and each one of them, you know, somebody who designed a, a bracelet for pregnant women so that you could sort of constantly monitor the heartbeat of the child that was connected to your doctor. These are real life problems. And each one of them, a potential, you know, huge uh, a market space for, for each one of them. So my sense is, I think, you know, one of the big trends is, the first big trend is the woman's mind, right? I think that if we could just allow the young woman's mind on the continent to, to open up and excel and give her the tools she needs, Africa would explode because, you know, if you look at what they can do in two weeks, imagine what if they had the right circumstances and the right conditions. You know, we just saw, you know, three months ago, a young woman in the United States IPO or an idea for what, $3 billion? Uh, because she had the right uh, circumstances and the right tools to do that. So for me, that's the, the first thing. It's just the woman's mind. Give her the possibility to do that. And then, of course, technology, uh, healthcare. We're, we're now seeing with COVID distance healthcare practices and a lot of that that's happening. Uh, and, and so there is, I think, a huge opportunity there. Uh, the whole service industry with the CFTA logistics, insurance managing of, of sort of the movement of goods, the security sector uh, is going to be a sector that is going to explode cybersecurity itself with, with, you know, with digitization, with computers, we need to protect our information more. Huge business opportunity, I think that is going to come out of that as well. So, so really, you know, a continent of 1.3 billion, a huge opportunity in the different areas in which we are. And I think that the you know, young girls out there should not be constrained and, and just go after it. And hopefully that we as policymakers will create the right environment for them to excel. I love it. You got me, you got me excited. So, I mean, um, I'm, I'm, you know, we're going to wrap up a little bit. I think we're nearly in on an hour, but, but just a couple more things I want to discuss is, is, is when you leave the UN or when you leave your professional space that you're in what is the 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 legacy that you want to to impart or leave I mean, and have you thought about that i mean you must have you have you seem very purpose driven in terms of being a leader um yeah huh that's a good question now what's the legacy i think i think it's it's a it's, it has to be a culmination right it has to be you wake up every morning and you you feel like you want to change something and, but 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 I guess you want to leave stronger institutions. You want to 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 make sure that you have done something that changes the lives of of a lot more uh, uh, people than 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 was the case before you came. So it's really about you know hopefully impacting our policy because we are we are in a space where you know a lot of what we do is about one, providing information and then, you know, impacting policy. But one of the things really that I, I hope that I can leave is first, you know, that we can create this women's fund manager 
uh, system and show that women can do these things and that, you know, there is a path out there for women in business on the continent to invest in. Um, and I think secondly, it's really about how we can change Africa's financial landscape in a way that begins to impact, you know, we have gotten to a space where, you know, the informal sector seems normal. And I just really believe that that's wrong. And, and hopefully that a lot of what we do ends up in a space where we can begin to create systems that formalize that sector because it's good for the for them and it's good for the informal uh those in the informal sector today, but it's also good for our economies that this informality ceases because informality means essentially that the system is broke. And, and so we cannot, as a, as a community, champion informality as a way of doing business on the continent. We must, I think, collectively go after what it is that we can do. And the advent of the digital economy is providing us with really a way to solve that problem is, is, you know, how can we provide more services to people in, in, a, in, a, in a more efficient and more effective way while getting, you know, some resources from them? Because, you know, tax revenue to GDP on the continent is 17%. You know, when East Asia was growing the way it grew, they were at 35%. So we're half of it. So very difficult to sort of dream of achieving the SDG goals dream of a prosperous Africa if we cannot formalize the informal sector so they become part of a social contract that is contributing to growth but also benefiting from that growth in a way that then creates a virtual cycle of growth and development and prosperity and the SDG goals in the end. Well I'm I'm definitely opening open to to partnering with you on that because I think there's an uh, uh, amazing legacy to want to leave and to commit yourself to on a, on a daily basis. I think um, for me, I've always, I've had a pipe dream and it seems like a pipe dream to always work for the UN. And I know uh, one of the, the ladies, one of my colleagues who works, says it feels like an unattainable ab ability to, to, get a, to get into the UN. And I want to, to sort of ask you from, from those who are preparing a life or a future or a profession that see that that is that is something that they want to take on. What what advice would you give them? Um, what what tips would you give them to prepare? I mean, they say it's who you know. So now I know the 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 woman at the helm. So I'm a, I'm sorted. But what about? <laughs> but what about everybody else? No, I think we have we have uh, uh, amazing programs, and and so we have just starting from from sort of the top. Or we we have sort of young professional programs where we get uh, uh, young, you know, recent graduates, intermediary graduates to come to to to, to the ECA in particular to start with. Um, I just joined a group of you know black women economists uh, and trying to find a few that can come and and and. So, 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 so this is the sort of non-remunerating part, but at least it gives you access to, to the UN and you begin to get a sense of what we do. We have a huge global hiring program for junior staff that can come in uh, at, at, the, at, the, at the lower level and then get a sense of what the system does. But, uh, but I think we have an amazing uh, Secretary General who you know, has embraced technology has embraced artificial intelligence, has embraced really the cutting edge of sort of what, you know, prosperity is going to look like for the rest of the world. Climate change is so much work that needs to be done in that area. 23 million African women die every day because we're, you know, inhaling the wrong kind of 
uh, a gas and we can do this differently, we can cook better. And and so this big agenda there, you know, another big agenda on, on healthcare and, and, you know, all the work around vaccines. And so, so there's, you know, statistics and data, uh, GIS, uh, you know, location studies. And, and so there's a lot that we can do. So I think if you're out there and you want to work for the UN, I think the first thing to do is work at Excel in what you do. And then, of course, we have a huge uh, uh, jobs database apply for, for, for this job. But it, it does pay to, to maybe try to do an internship. It does pay. We're always looking for, for more interns at the ECA and, and, and globally. Uh, it, it does pay. Now we have what we call resident coordinators in almost every country. So, you know, if you're out there, go out, check out what the UN is doing in, in your uh, 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 country. Of course, this is the, I've spoken a lot about the development side, but people are thinking, what about the health? What about the human rights side? Huge human rights agenda, huge uh, uh, peace and security agenda. Well, of course, we're on a continent that needs it more. Hopefully, we will be needing it less. But I think that we will need it less if women were <laughs> making some of those decisions. Uh, and so we can, we can do that. But, but so, so there's just an, an, an enormous amount. But another way of working with the UN is not, you don't have to be in the UN, right? And I take uh, the, the area of peace uh, and, and gender peace and security, for example. We need women at the table in many of these peace and security discussions. We don't have them. So if you're in your community and you, your community is a community that is rife with conflict, maybe start some discussions at, the, at that level. When the UN finally comes, if we come, we will reach out to you and we will bring you in because we need at least those of us women inside the system are advocating for more women on those tables, at those tables, discussing local issues and discussing how we get peace going. And so I think you can start at that level and then, you know, come in, no, not now as a UN staff or UN employee, but as somebody who is talking to the UN, you know, toe to toe on how you need and how one can restore peace in your communities. So that's, and then maybe when we succeed, we'll bring you in to come and lead us and tell us how to do it globally, but, but start with your community. So I think, uh, those are different channels and routes into it's a huge organization. I don't, you know, it's millions of people that work in the UN. So there are there are opportunities. Don't despair. But again, you must excel and 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 have this, you know, uh, I think calling for service uh, uh, in you. And speaking of calling for service, I just want to say on on behalf of Santa Barbara Top Women and, and myself as an individual, thank you very much for your service. Um, we are always watching your movements and we are always keeping abreast of, of what the UN um, and the ECA is doing um, and we'd love to support it more. So <clears throat> we're a friend um, and, and hopefully we can also be part of your community. Uh, my very last question for you, um, it's a bit off the cuff, but if you were going to write a book, what would you call it? One day in the life. Say that again. One day in the life. Fantastic. Okay. So we'll look forward to reading that book one day, Vera. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you for your time. Uh, and good luck with your travels. Um, good luck with everything that is happening in the moment. I hope we get to connect again soon. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love and leave you now. Um, and thank you for your time. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Uh, thanks for everything. Ciao.